Can a subtle shift in your focus really make the big difference in your business and your income? Our guest says absolutely yes. Bob Berg is a sought-after speaker at company leadership and sales conferences. He regularly addresses audiences ranging in size from 50 to 16,000 people. He has shared the platforms with notables including today's top thought leaders, broadcast personalities, Olympic athletes, and political leaders including former United States president. Bob is an advocate, supporter, and defender of the free enterprise system, believing that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. Bob is the author of The Art of Persuasion, It's Not About You, Endless Referrals, and his newest book, Advertisers into Allies. You can check out Bob's, Bob's blog at www.berg.com, B-U-R-G.com slash blog. He's got tons of great posts, uh, and there's actually going to be some show notes that I'm going to be posting on www.myo.ca, M-Y-O-O.ca, which will have all of the details, including uh, a book PDF that he recommends in the podcast itself. I hope you all enjoy, and welcome to episode three of the My Other Options show. Let's let's start from the beginning, Bob. So, where how did how did you first? get into public speaking and and writing books and becoming an author like how did your where where was the beginning of your journey i began as a broadcaster first in radio and then on television Mm -hmm. uh wasn't wasn't a particularly good broadcaster and i i quickly found myself moving from that over into the sales end uh the the challenge for me was i really didn't know anything about sales or selling. So mm-hmm. I floundered at first. I, you know, I had the right attitude, but I didn't have the skill set. And and fortunately, mm-hmm. I, I began hearing about and reading books by Tom Hopkins and Zig Ziglar. And, you know, uh, 35 years ago, uh, those were the two, you know, real big mm-hmm. uh, teachers and authors. Their, their books have since become classics, and they made a hugely significant difference in my life. And uh, as I began to, to increase my skills in sales, uh, obviously, the production went up as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and began, I began teaching it to others, and eventually, it sort of morphed into a, a speaking career. Oh, okay, so it just kind of happened naturally. Yeah, well, or organically, I, yeah. I guess you could say. Well, I mean, I, I <coughs> once I even found out that you could uh, that you could make a living as a as a professional speaker. I yeah. loved the idea of it. It was kind of a combination of the the broadcasting and the sales. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I guess like the speaking that, from broadcasting and also yeah. the sales kind of influence and yeah, so it was something I really I took to. But like yeah. anything else, I had to learn how to sell my speaking services. Mm-hmm. So I joined the National Speakers Association, which is a a uh, an association of of professional speakers, and uh, I learned really the the system for for marketing oneself as a speaker. And I think. You know, to, to anyone coming up today, a, a millennial, anyone who's an entrepreneur, and I'm often asked, you know, what's the first thing you would do? And, and my first thing is learn from those who've already done it, how to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, don't try and reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. Uh, learn the system. And there's, there's generally a basic system to pretty much everything that's been done, and it's been documented. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally define a system as simply the process of predictably achieving a goal based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles. 
the key is predictability. If it's been proven that by doing A, you'll get the desired result of B, then you know that, that all you need to do is A and do A consistently and persistently, and eventually you'll get the desired result of, of B. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's so wise. So, so true. Um, what, what would you attribute your success to, to this current day? I think it's a combination of things. One is is the ability to fail a whole lot. And I won't I won't say fail without discouragement because I got discouraged many times, but I just kept sort of picking myself back up and and moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh so, you know, I'd say that is is one aspect I think we we have to have because most success failures a big part of it. Lots of failures along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh then there was that point where I started really listening to others and not trying to invent the wheel myself, stop trying to reinvent what's already been invented. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I think those things all uh, have something to do with it. There's, you know, also loving what I do certainly makes it easier mm-hmm. to go through those areas that aren't as fun <laughs> because, you know, you've got something that you really love and you love the purpose and the reason why you're doing it. So I think all those together sort of add up to a uh, a successful career mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. did a lot of those books behind you that you you've read did, the, did a lot of those help you with your journey they did and and this is one that's one very 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 tiny part of my library uh, <laughs> <laughs> and look I, i'm intrigued i kind of want to be there and kind of pick through what you got <laughs> well i and, would uh, i would bet that a lot i see a couple of books that you have back there are, are ones that i have as well and yeah, so yeah. i think probably we both it's just that i'm a lot older so i've had a lot more time to read a lot more books but you, your library will be the same it what's funny is i remember going over to, to charlie tremendous jones house okay. about probably 10 years ago and he was one of the real greats you know we lost him about five years ago okay but uh, just a wonderful, wonderful man and mentor to many of us. His library had to be 20 times the size of mine. Really? Yeah, and then I was speaking in, in uh, Memphis, Tennessee about a year ago uh, for two friends of mine who happened to be married, longtime speakers, uh, Don Hudson and, and Terry Murphy. And so I slept over their home, uh, which I usually don't do. I'm a hotel person. I don't sleep over anybody's <laughs> home. But, you know... Uh, uh, but I did sleep over theirs, and 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 Don showed me his library. Oh my gosh, it was absolutely <laughs> amazing. Really? So you know, it's a, those are you know what kind of a boring life I have when my biggest thrills are people's <laughs> library, right? I'm uh, getting excited about it myself. I wish I was there. So <laughs> I, I I really empathize. Uh, what I was actually going to ask you this a little bit later, but since we're on the topic, what what are your top three books? Or maybe like top few books, you know, what, what would you say are the yeah. most influential ones in your life? You know, yeah, it, because it, it's hard to say just three, Pierre, because there's so many, not only so many different books, but books in different areas. There's sales and marketing, there's political, economics, spiritual, sales, uh, you know, all sorts of personal development, all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there's three that I could, but I'd say that that three I would suggest everyone have in their library, especially if you're young. Mm-hmm. One is Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yep. Another is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Mm-hmm. And another one is a book by by Harry Brown, which most people have not heard of. Yeah, no. Uh, uh, he wrote a book called How to, and I, and I think I've got it right over there, and I want to uh, 
Yeah, the, the, the secret of selling anything. And what's interesting about that is the title, you know, doesn't, doesn't sound like a, a warm and fuzzy title, but it is a wonderful, amazing book, which really the selling aspect is part of it. What it really is, is it's a book on understanding and honoring human nature. And when you do that, and, and Harry just, and he actually wrote that, in, it was taken from two manuscripts Harry wrote in the mid-60s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after he died, it was uh, his wife, his widow, discovered them and shared them with someone, and that person published them. Oh, wow. And it is absolutely vintage Harry Brown, who I had the honor of knowing, and he was someone I considered a mentor and a hero. Wow! And uh, I, I did a blog post on the book. If if someone goes to berg b u r g dot com slash blog, and they write in the secret of, I think I titled it "The Secret of Selling Need Not Be a Secret," <laughs> or they can just uh, Right, you put in the search Harry Brown, B R O W N E. They can read the uh, the blog post, mm-hmm. and uh, and I, I put a link to the to who sells the book. But it is a, a book that I would say that if there was one book to simply to really be able to understand what it takes to succeed in dealing with people again by honoring human nature, not trying to deny it, not trying to to uh, impose your will on it. But simply understanding and, and, you know, Harry said a wonderful thing. He said, in a free market-based economy, profit is simply the reward for pleasing another person. In other words, we have to understand that no one's going to buy from us because we want them to buy from us because we need the money or because we have a quota to meet or even because we think we have the best product or service around. They're going to buy from us because they believe that it's their best choice and that it's more likely to bring value to them worth more than the money they're spending on it or investing on it. Mm-hmm. So we, that we always have to understand that value and, you know, in the go-giver, we talk about the law of value and, and value being the relative worth or desirability of something, of a thing to the end user. In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea, what have you, that is bring so much worth or value to someone that they'll willingly exchange their money, time, energy, what have you for it. And that's great. But we have to understand that when it comes right down to it, value is always in the eyes of the beholder. It's not, again, what we think is of value or why we think they should think it's of value. Mm -hmm. It's why they think it is. And that's really what selling is. It's discovering what someone wants, needs, or desires and helping them to get it. And that's much different than, you know, what many people think of as selling, trying to convince someone to buy something they don't want or need. That's not selling. That's being a con artist. Selling is when you give time, attention, counsel, education, empathy, and most of all, value to another human being. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's very deep. That does that was awesome. Thank you. Um, My pleasure. There's so that's what I'm really realizing from all my studying of everybody, and, and especially on on your work, is that at the end of the day, it's just it's providing value. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm working on a website now, and I decided to change the name from I'm working on the website that I'm working on my value engine, you ah. know, just, just to kind of change the approach because you got to really adopt the mindset. Do you have any suggestions on on how to like adopt that 
that mindset of being a value provider because it is a shift from Mm -hmm. the way you know i was brought up to think i always think like tit for tat 50 50 how can you inhabit that give 100 percent mindset do you have any suggestions well, first, it's it's understanding at both an intellectual and at a core emotional level that it's not only the best way to do business in terms of a you know a, a pleasant, nice way. It's the most profitable way, and that's why I say shifting your focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving in this context, we mean constantly and consistently providing value to others. Is again not only a nice way to live life. That's great. But it's a very, very financially profitable way as well. If you understand that, it makes it a lot easier to, to shift because you're, you're not saying, okay, I'm, I'm being self-sacrificial here by doing this. No, you're not being self-sacrificial at all. Uh, you're, you're being very uh, concrete in what you're doing. You're doing something that's going to benefit you greatly. That's, it, it just works out that that's the way the world works. The more you focus on bringing value to others, the more you're going to benefit. Why? Well, again, in a in a, a free market-based economy, to the degree that in North America, our two countries, yours and mine, are, are free market, I think we should be much more than what we are, but, uh, you, but what have you. When I say free market, I mean that no one's forced to buy from you, okay? And that's how most of us operate. In our businesses, most of the people listening to this, you and I, no one is forced to do business with us, is forced to buy from us. So I would ask this question. To anyone who doesn't believe in this philosophy, I'd say, do you think people are going to be more likely to buy from you when, when they can tell that you're in it just for yourself, that, you're, that your focus is on getting their money? Or are they more likely to do business with you when they understand, when they can sense that your focus is on providing value to them, to solving their problem, to bringing them joy, to make their life better? I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer. We know. We're much more likely to buy from those who we believe care about us because it's in our own best interest to do it that way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, really that's, that's what it's all about. There's, there's absolutely nothing self-sacrificial. There's nothing martyrish or doormatty about placing the other person's interest first. It's the only way in business that you're going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it'll make you happier too, according to Jonathan Haddad's book, The Happiness Hypothesis. You know, he he says that when you build relationships like this, this is what leads to happiness. It, well, it does. It, it it leads to both happiness and profit. Yeah. yeah. Both. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's not a matter of one or the other. And that's what we need to always understand. Too often in life, we see these what John David Mann and I call treacherous dichotomies, that either or. It's like when you grow up, when you're growing up and someone says, when you're a little kid and someone says, hey, you know, when you get older, do you want to be wealthy or happy? Mm-hmm. What a horrible question it is. What's the presupposition there or the premise that you can either be one or the other, not both? Yeah. Well, of course, you can and you should be both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I want to I touch on the, the five laws of, uh, of stratospheric success. Uh-huh. I was having trouble pronouncing that. <laughs> prior to, it's a, it's prior a tough to word. Stratospheric, yes. Um, <laughs> I want to touch on law number one, which is value, exactly what we're talking about. So what are your suggestions on adding value to potential mentors and or clients that are in a position that one aspires to be in? Well, as far as mentors, uh, you know, it, it's always great to to 
provide value to mentors to the degree that you can. By and large, they're pro- they are probably people who are more successful than you are right now. So the value you provide to them is has got to be probably different than what you would be providing to someone else. Uh, so what can you do? Well, you can give them great appreciation. You can carry out, you can listen to them and carry out what they do. You can mentor someone else once you, you know, once you've uh, attained the ability to do so. You can also introduce them to others who may be of benefit to them when that, you know, when and if that situation takes place. So we can always find ways to somehow, some way provide value to others. But obviously with a mentor, it's it's probably going to take a different form than it might with someone else. As far as adding value to our prospective customers, our customers and clients, you know, there's many ways to, to you know, be the value. Uh, you know, we live in a world in which we're pretty commoditized at this point. I mean, most products and services work. And there's not a lot of differentiation by nature. Intrinsically, there's not a lot of differentiation. So if two people's product or service is pretty much the same and the customer, prospective customer, doesn't see there being any significant difference, what's it going to come down to? Lowest price. Well, unless your name is Walmart, uh, trying to sell on low price is not a good way to do business. Uh, when you sell on on low price, when you sell on price, you're a commodity. When you sell on value, you're a resource. So rather than selling on low price, which is a losing game, because uh, even if you make the sale, you probably don't make enough profit to make your business fun, profitable, and it keeps you moving, having to move too fast to do things you're not able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question is, well, in a world in which most products and services are pretty equal, how do you separate yourself? How do you add? How do you become that additional value? And there are probably dozens, if not hundreds of ways to do so, but they come down to five general ways that we call elements of value. And those elements of value are are excellence, consistency, attention, empathy, and appreciation. And to the degree that you're able to communicate one or more, hopefully all five of them in your interactions with others, that's the degree that you make yourself more valuable to that person and you take price out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's, wow. That's, awesome. that's awesome. In your opinion, Bob, what are a few ways we can build a report with a potential mentor or client that one is motivated to work with virtually? Well, you know, it, it always comes back to, to the focus being on them. When, you're, when you meet a prospective customer, they've got to know that your focus is on them and finding out, uh, you know, their, what their wants, needs, or desires are. We do that through asking questions. And then after we ask the question, we listen. And we listen to, to discover their motivation. Going back to, to Harry Brown again. Harry said one of the biggest mistakes many salespeople make is they, they, they ask themselves the question, how do I motivate my prospective customer? That's the wrong question because your prospective customer is already motivated. Your job is to simply find out what they are motivated by. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so how do you do that? You ask questions and you listen and you probe and you, you know, you, you know enough about your product or service to understand 
where your where the benefits of your product or service generally serve another person but that doesn't mean you know how this person is going to to see that as being of value you also a, a great thing to do is ask your your current customers the ones who really that you have a great relationship who refer to you who come back often ask them what it is about you and your product or service that they find to be of most value because they will probably tell you things you weren't aware of because as human beings we tend to come at the world we tend to view the world from different a different set of belief systems a, a whole different paradigm a different model and so um, you know we are not our customer again what we think is the reason they're doing business with us may not be necessarily the biggest reason of all so it's amazing what you can learn from your other customers. So again, you've got to, and, and one of my great friends, a fantastic, uh, very successful entrepreneur, Sean Woodruff says, what a professional salesperson or entrepreneur does is they, they match the benefits of their product or service with the needs, wants, or desires of their customer. Mm -hmm. So again, that's, that's what you're really doing. And that's that, that, that whole focus, as we've just talked about, is all about the other person. It's the focus on them. Well, it's the yeah. same when you're wanting to 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 um, have a mentor. You know, to to just go up to somebody to approach somebody and say, "Hey, will you be my mentor?" <laughs> probably isn't a good idea. Uh, that's not really how it works. I mean, they're busy. There's a reason you want them to be your mentor. They're very very busy. They're very successful. And many people call up and and just with a very me focused or I focused, "Will you be my mentor?" Mm -hmm. And what I'd like to suggest is that a mentor protege relationship takes a while to form. It's like any other relationship. And you know, it's fine to ask a person if you could, you know, maybe have a few minutes of their time to ask a couple of very specific questions and to let them know you will not take up much of their time. And then when you do, to to send a personalized handwritten letter to them thanking them for their advice, what it meant to you and how you plan to apply it. And you know, be able to in whatever way you can keep in touch with this person you can ask a question when you have, and you know uh, eventually the 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 mentor protege relationship may form if it's supposed to if this person even wants to be a mentor to someone uh, formally or informally so you got to sort of play it by ear but always again asking yourself how do i add value to this person mm -hmm. while they're adding value to me yeah definitely definitely and by the way it might be if you're you know local to that person it might be being their chauffeur for a while and or or doing errands for them and picking up their laundry or you know what I, what i'm saying is you never know what it is this person might need that you can you can make yourself of value to them mm -hmm. it's very like case specific it is yeah for sure um, when you were when you were first starting out bob is there anything you would have done uh, differently to to where you currently you know, looking back in retrospect? Mm -hmm. Oh, a lot differently, a lot differently. First, I would have listened much more than I did before I started realizing the importance of listening. You know, I'm, I'm often asked, what, what advice would I give to my 23 or 24-year-old self? And it would have been to shut up and listen. <laughs> Because, uh, you know, Berg, you don't know half of what you think you know. And even what you do know, a lot of it ain't true, you know. And uh, uh, so that, you know, that was one thing. Uh, it was also, you know, I, I would have told, I would tell my younger self, don't think you have to invent the wheel. Uh, that's why I speak so much of systems, following systems, because I didn't do that at first. It was only when I began to plug into the systems that already existed that it accelerated my success. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. I also would have embraced change a lot quicker. I got left behind a little bit in the technological jump of the late 90s. I didn't really, I resisted it because I'm not very techy by nature. And so I really resisted, you know, all the, the email and the internet and the whole thing. And so that, that really put me back a couple of years. <laughs> Fortunately, I get to work with a lot of people who do know that stuff, like my business partner, Kathy Tajanel, and, and she, she's brilliant yeah, yeah, and yeah. understands that. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, so that frees me up to do the things I do best. And, and, you know, we, we now are, we take great advantage of all the, the technology out there, but that's, that's because of Kathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both Kathy and Shauna, who I spoke to prior to this are amazing people. You know, I really thank appreciate, you. I really, I really enjoyed working with them prior oh, to this. Thank you. I'll let them know. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, as we're coming to the end of the interview here, uh, I want to ask you one question. Um, if, if you were, if today was going to be your last day uh, and you had to leave one message for your loved ones, mm-hmm. uh, what would that short message be? Uh, a short message for my loved ones. Yeah. Or, or the world in general. What, what would your message be based on Bob Berg's life, what you took from you your know, experience? I, I think if I could leave a message to the world, it would be to to focus, if you can, on on just helping people feel genuinely good about themselves. You know, that's something I've, I always noticed in my dad and to, to this day, and, and he's in his early 90s, it's the same thing. His, uh, I've always said my dad has always had the best people skills of anyone I've ever known, and his greatest people skill was a genuine and authentic interest in others. And he encouraged and and he made people feel genuinely good about themselves and that's what I try to do I try to carry on his legacy by doing that mm-hmm. and I would say if we can if we can help people understand the importance of that there's no better feeling for oneself than to know you've helped someone else see something in themselves that they may not have known they had so I guess that would be it mm-hmm. yeah you, you talk about your father a lot um, as a mentor, I remember in a, an interview with Darren Hardy you did back in 2012, mm. you said uh, your, your dad taught you that um, to be your own boss and to have emotional intelligence. Yeah. Be your own well, boss of what's going on internally. Yeah, be the boss of oneself. And, yeah. and, and that's where you know controlling one's emotions is mm-hmm. such an important aspect of, of being an influencer of yourself and of others. Um, you know, it all begins with, you know, the, the sages uh, said, uh, you know, who is a, a mighty person? And they said that person who can control their own emotions and make of an enemy a friend. And that was one of five questions my dad always would grill me on as a, as a kid that I need to answer. And, uh, and one of them was, as he said, you know, he, he explains that by you got to be the boss of yourself, of your own emotions. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't have emotions. Don't get me wrong. We, as human beings, we are emotional creatures. Uh, we're logical to a certain extent, but we're, we're emotion-based. We make major decisions based on emotion, and then we back those emotional decisions up with, with logic. Mm-hmm. But it, it doesn't mean we shouldn't have it. It means we need to be in control of our emotions rather than our emotions being in control of us. Uh, I, I love what a great friend and another mentor of mine, Dondi Scumachi, says. She says, uh, by all means, take your emotions along for the ride, but make sure you are driving the car. Wow. Very powerful. Very powerful. Th- thank you so much, Bob, for 
that was a that was an amazing end. Uh, you really you really nailed all the points. I was hoping to oh, hoping you, hoping Peter. to hear. <laughs> and uh, you know, I really appreciate your time and, and thank you so much for for coming on here. Oh, my pleasure. And by the way, Kathy was, uh, you know, really bragging about you. I know you you and she spoke on the phone and she just couldn't say enough, uh, enough about you. She uh, she was so very impressed. Oh, well, I, I'd like to I'd like to thank your books and, and the, the knowledge of, of everybody who, you know, I stand on, you know. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much, Bob. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. I'll talk to you later. All right. Au revoir. Bye for now.